Crumbs from the Shepherd. My name is Joel, and uh, we are now on episode two. In our previous episode, we looked at the gospel of the Christian faith. We also left off noting that Jesus commands us to preach the good news to as many as possible. So in these coming episodes, I want to try to break down as many things as I can that get in the way of this gospel. And trust me, unfortunately, there are just a lot. It only makes sense that there would be, though, because... You know, Satan doesn't really want any more people to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. We can clearly see this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Quote, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. End quote. Note that the God of this world is a reference to Satan here. With all this in mind, I think the natural first place to start is probably one of the biggest criticisms that we hear charged against Christians from the secular world. That is, Christians are judgmental and hypocrites. Let's take a closer look at this. When a person first becomes a Christian and starts reading from the Bible, they start to learn about all the things God commands and how often we humans mess this up. We can clearly see this right from the get-go in Genesis. God creates everything and he gives Adam and Eve one command, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They literally had everything they could ever need in the garden. All their needs were taken care of. But the one thing that they were told not to do is exactly what they ended up doing. This then naturally leads into the Ten Commandments, which is also known as God's law. When we break this law, we sin. Paul makes note of this phenomenon in Romans 7, 7b. Quote, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. End quote. So to put it simply, as we learn more about the law, we become much more aware of sin. And like Paul mentions in Romans 12 verse 9, Christians are to abhor sin. Abhor meaning to look at sin with disgust and hatred. The problem and the unfortunate natural progression is that we usually start to hate the sinner behind those sins, all while conveniently ignoring our own sin. We start to build up a false pride, thinking that we are better than those unbelieving sinners. We look at someone and say, sure, I may have some struggles with sin, but at least I'm not like that person. We may even begin to rank ourselves among other Christians. This, of course, brings us back to the topic of how non-Christians see Christians as judgmental. You don't have to look very far to find examples of this. We see this thing pop up all the time in the media. I'm sure you have heard of headlines of saying how some church or some group of Christians are protesting with signs that say something along the lines of, like, God hates gays or any number of things like that. Or I'm sure you've run into someone before who has said something like, I was told I won't go to heaven because of blank. And you can fill in the blank here with any number of sins. This experience is all too common, and this is where the label of judgmental Christians gets applied. Now, to be fair, I see a lot of examples in our current culture where Christians are immediately written off as bigots before someone has even talked to them. And this just isn't a fair criticism. But I don't think we can really blame them for thinking this. Unfortunately, as mentioned before, there are just too many examples of Christians doing awful things or showing real hate towards people. And as one might expect, this then puts a huge spotlight on Christians, where the secular world is now looking for any sins that a Christian may commit to call them out on it. It stands to reason that they would. If Christians are telling others that they need to live better lives and repent of their sins, then of course, when those Christians are doing the same thing, they are rightly called hypocrites. And therein lies the problem. If we reduce Christianity to morals, then they have every right to do this. Christians are going to struggle with sin the same way as any non-Christian would. In fact, for Christians, it's probably worse because we know God's law. Therefore, we don't even have an excuse to say we didn't know any better. Let's turn to scripture and see what Jesus says about some of this. First off, let's address the morality piece of this as Jesus again and again makes this one very clear. 
We can read a good example of this in Matthew 19, beginning at verse 16. A rich ruler comes up to Jesus and asks what he needs to do to have eternal life. Jesus replies by saying to follow all the commandments. This man foolishly replies, I have done all of these. Jesus then turns the screws on him and says, go and sell all that you have. Give the money to the poor and follow me. You see, Jesus knew exactly where this man's heart was. We read in verse 19, quote, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions, end quote. Jesus knew that this man had definitely not followed all the commandments, but he broke through to what mattered most to this man, his money. We are often tempted to think like this as well. We can say, I've never killed anyone, or I've never slept with another man's wife, or done any of those really bad sins. But once again, Jesus breaks through to the heart of the issue in Matthew 5. Jesus says that if you have anger or hate towards one another, you have committed murder. And likewise, if you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. These are just a few examples, but as you can clearly see, we have most likely been guilty of breaking all Ten Commandments at some point in our lives. And if we are truly honest with ourselves, some of these we continually break on a weekly, probably even a daily basis. Christians will continue to struggle with sin, so we have no right to say that we are better than anyone else. We are not magically free from sin. We may be free of the ultimate consequences of sin on account of Christ, but it does not mean that we will not sin in this life, at least not until we finally get to heaven, that is. We can see this in Romans seven nineteen. Quote, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. End quote. We need to be more like Paul here and be honest with ourselves. I can confidently confess that there have been so many times when I have seen someone in need and have not helped them, even those closest to me. I have had friends and family who have asked for help or have been hurting and could have used comfort, and I simply wasn't there for them or have actively denied them. This is the good that I should have done that I haven't. And to the other side of this verse, I struggle with sin daily. No matter how many times I've tried or how much effort I put into living out the Ten Commandments in my daily life, I just continue to fail at these all the time. You don't have to look any further than having hate towards someone, which if you remember is the same as murder. Selfish drivers who cut me off, rude customers at my job who treat me like crap, people who have taken advantage of me, these are just a few. You may be tempted to say, well, Joel, those are people who have sinned themselves and probably rightly deserve your hate, but you'd be wrong. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43 through 44, quote, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, end quote. The previously mentioned examples are just some lighter examples. I have been guilty of actively hurting people before with my words as well. When I'm frustrated, I can say some pretty mean things. I know in my head that I shouldn't be saying them, but they come out and then I have to ask for forgiveness. Hence, the evil that I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Let's look at another example in scripture. If you want to follow along, you can turn to John 8. It's a bit longer, but bear with me. It's a great passage, so it's worth reading. We'll start at verse 3. Quote, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. 
Go, and from now on, sin no more. End quote. From this passage, we can see that as Christians, we should not be like the Pharisees looking to point out someone's sin. For we have sins of our own, and if we think we don't, we are lying to ourselves like the rich ruler. 1 John 1, 8, and 9 just cuts right to the point. Quote, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. End quote. The Pharisees took pride in following the law of God, but we see Jesus time and time again point out that their thinking is wrong. Keeping the law cannot save someone because no one can do it perfectly. And that is what it demands. It demands it to be done perfectly. So why as Christians do we so easily turn to the law to try to save non-Christians? Instead, we should imitate Jesus, withholding our condemnation of others and pointing them to the only way that they can be saved, which is standing before Jesus and him alone, just as the woman who was caught in adultery was left standing before Jesus with no one else around to accuse her. Jesus makes this mission very clear in Mark 2, 17b. Quote, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. End quote. Jesus' whole reason for coming down to earth and dying on the cross was to save sinners, and thank God he did, because we are all sinners. Everyone needs to hear this gospel, and if we allow our judgment and our hate to get in the way of this, then we may be in for some pretty rebuking words from Jesus. Just listen to what he told Peter in Matthew 16, 23. And don't forget that this is the same Peter that just a few verses earlier, Jesus said he was going to make Peter the rock that he would build the church on. But let's start at verse 21 to get some context. Quote, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. End quote. This was Peter with good intentions, just trying to help Jesus avoid getting killed, and he was basically called Satan here. So I think we have to keep these words in mind when we, with less good intentions, get in the way of the saving work of Jesus, aka the gospel. I say all this not to condemn you or make you feel bad about yourself if you have done this before. Lord knows I have, and I need God's grace for this as well. I simply want us all, as the body of Christ, to put away our judgment and replace it with love. We all need to humbly approach the foot of the cross and ask God to grant us a heart of compassion and love. This is what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ. As we see in John 13, 34 through 35, quote, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. End quote. And again, we read in 1 John 4, 7 through 9, quote, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. End quote. So finally, to wrap this all up, the only reason we are able to love anyone is because Christ first loved us. We must daily, with the help of God, put aside our temptation to judge and hate, and instead turn our attention back to the gospel and remember the greatest love that has been shown to us, the greatest love there is. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life.